Matt, how are you? Good, yourself? Good, you can hear me and everything? Yeah, what about you? Everything all right there? Can you hear me? I sure can, yeah. How's everything going with you? Not too bad. Um, obviously been very quiet, but it's getting a bit uh, a bit monotonous now, but obviously we're all just trying to stay safe and um, keep ourselves busy, so other than that, all good. Can't complain. All good. You? I'm doing well. You know, I'm staying busy with these interviews and again, just getting a different, uh, different top minds out here and you're highly recommended, so I'm excited to have you on. But uh, I want to ch- I just kind <laughs> I just kind of want to get into this quick because I have so many notes here, and I hope I can kind of fit everything in one hour. But um, just to start, Matt, I I want to try something a little bit different, and I want to ask you what were you like as a young goalkeeper going through the ranks from you know youth age up until the uh, the end when you stopped playing, got into coaching. What was your personality like? What were you good at? Because I feel, in my opinion coaches they take a lot of their coaching methodologies and style of of how they were as a goalkeeper so how were you the first thing that um jumps out is i was i was awfully quiet um i I think if you take away the work side of me now i'm still quite a quiet person so if you if you link that up to is that a good goalie you'd mostly say not so i always had a bit of a battle as to trying to be that have a bit of an alter ego maybe so um you turn up and you play and, and you have to almost change into a different a different mat and I think that's quite relevant to coaching as well because I think you've got to be different different people for different uh, to suit different kids needs so yeah I think the main thing was I was, I was, I was quiet I think if you look at like the uh, the work weight and, and the commitment of the young goalkeepers now especially at our place um, I mostly didn't have that as a, as a young kid I, it's not like I never worked hard but I think it's it's got so much more serious now uh, the academy football and, and the, the way the EPPP and stuff over here um, I think if I was if I was young this day and age, I think I'd, I'd do all right. But I don't think I'd, I really had that drive, if I'm being honest, as a youngster. Um, I thought I was good. I thought it was all right. I had confidence. I suppose the one thing that not let me down but was tough for me to fight with was I was quite quiet. Uh, and I've had, to, I've, I've had to change that, obviously, with the role that you're doing or that I'm doing now. You can't be quiet um, <laughs> to, an, to an extent, you know. Do you feel like because you were quiet as a player, now that you step into a coaching role, that's something that you kind of really – emphasize with your goalkeepers is to to get that personality out of them yeah I mean I don't listen I'm not one that says you, you need to be a certain I think I think all goalkeepers are different so I think if you was to build one you'd most probably build them from scratch and say they need to have a real good personality and be loud and demanding but I think you need to appreciate this day and age with society that everyone's slightly different as well as you know you might have the quiet lad that that is similar to myself maybe that has to turn it on when he steps over the white line so for example, a striker, a number nine, I don't think they're all the same. So I think it's quite easy to pigeonhole a goalkeeper and say they should all be doing this. But, you know, really and truly, they're all going to be slightly different. Um, so I think you've got to be careful that your goalkeeper must do this, must do that. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be one of them that says, oh, he, he can't do this and he's not for us, for example. I think you've got to almost, if they can't do certain things and you feel like it's maybe a detriment to their game, then obviously you'd help them. But I just think you've got to be careful that you don't expect them all to be the same because they're not the same as number nines, the same as midfielders, the same as whatever position you want to call, if that if that answers your question. No, yeah, it does. I think uh, one thing uh, with Tim Dittmer that he mentioned was that, you know, he'll, he he wants certain things from his goalkeeper sometimes. And one of those things is obviously to ask questions and be like that social aspect. Uh, social meaning you want them to kind of think freely so you're not always the one who's giving them the answers. And uh, when you're asking questions, you want them to be thoughtful. So now that you're the head of academy at Birmingham City, is that something that you're kind of emphasizing with those goalkeepers is to kind of give them those opportunities to think for themselves and, you know, get that, the creative juices flowing a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's most probably the skill of the coach. So, and by the way, you've had some great guests on and they've, they've all spoke really well and, and, I, and I've definitely took a lot of notes. You know, a lot of them were saying, get to know the individual, which I, I completely agree. So I think you, again, if you, if you know what, who you're dealing with, some might need you to, you know, spoon feed it a little bit to want for a better phrase because they're, they're clearly struggling. But again, and again, what I mean by the skill of the coach is sometimes you've got to recognise that when, you know, he maybe doesn't need that, he needs you to just let him do it. And then I think you can be clever with how you get that point across to him. So it might be hidden in your session somehow because uh, he might not he might not like the, you know, down at a table going through clips. That might not be the best way he learns. So I think you've just got to be clever with who you're talking to, know, know your audience. And then obviously what I mean by skill of the coaches, have different clubs in your, in your bag. To, so he needs that club, he needs that club. You just have different different tools for, for the, each individual. So yeah, I think you're going to get that a lot from me. A lot of it is, I think, based on the individual. 
Um, so you've got to be, you've got, to, you've got to know your audience. Absolutely. So let's talk about Matt. Let's talk about your, the skill of the coach that you just mentioned right there. And you started off as a very young coach. And again, from my notes that I have here, you were from, uh, you got a scholarship to, was it Walton and Hersham football club? So you were there for, you were there for a few years, uh, two years, but while you were there, you started uh, coaching for a company based in Surrey. I'm not 100% sure where that is, but you started working with them, and that's kind of where you started your coaching pathway. So what kind of uh, mistakes did you make as a young coach stepping in at 17, 18 years old that you kind of look back at now and kind of laugh at? How long have you got? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, listen, I was, I was, I, I remember being 16, 17, and I was a bit, you know, where am I going, what am I doing? I think the the non-league scholarship, if you like, that I got was almost my last crack at it. Really, I thought I'd give it a go. It was it was in Surrey, so I'm I'm well, I'm not now, but I'm originally from North London, so that was two hours on the train each way. So it was it was a fair trek. But what drew me to it was the coaching, and I won't go into detail, but I almost saw myself as being maybe an all right coach. And then and then when I got there, alongside the the actual football scholarship, there was uh, there was an opportunity to do some coaching for the private company, and then and it it grew from there really. So I started to really enjoy it. And then it just, it, that was that after sort of like a year and a half, two years, that was me thinking, this is the path I want to take. Don't get me wrong. I think when you're, when you're, what was I, 18, 19, clearly you still want to play uh, and you have the buzz to, to do it. But I got a similar buzz from coaching as well. So it, it overtook it a little bit. And then, and then as I mentioned to you, you know, I got an opportunity to, to go to a club and it was almost too good to turn down. So I made the jump um, and haven't looked back since really. So the club that you went to was Barnett uh, FC, correct? Some uh, one of your friends reached out to you and said a friend of a friend reached out to you and said, "Hey, this is an opportunity that you know they're they're creating a center of excellence for the academy. They have a new facility coming in. So what attracted you to that? What was the like, is that when you started taking yourself a little bit more seriously as a coach and like this is what I could potentially do? Like you said, to get that that, that buzz that uh, the game gives you, but now from a different outlet. Yeah, sure. Um, the, not going to lie, the main one was it was. 15 minutes from from where I lived in London so as I mentioned before I was traveling two hours uh, on a train to get to, get to the, the previous um, place I was at so one thing was obviously it's back home and the main thing really and it's not that the traveling the main thing was it was an established professional football club it was almost like a, a blank canvas so the friend of a friend he was setting up the the, the center of excellence from scratch really um, and it and, you know they needed a goalkeeper coach so again I went down had, had a couple of chats with Paul Fairclough at the time which some people might know who are listening um, at Barnet and I was thrown straight in really as I think a lot of the coaches I can most probably relate they, they most probably were the same at some point in their career where you're just thrown in I don't want to say sink or swim but it's it's what you make of it so you've just got to yeah make the most of it and then I never looked back I was working for free it was completely vulnerable um, sorry completely uh, voluntary I felt vulnerable so it's completely voluntary <laughs> Um, and it was, yeah, it, it was just seven days a week, I think, if I remember rightly, seven days a week. Uh, that was five evenings a week as well. So I was, I was 19, you know, fresh as a daisy, just trying to learn. I think like everyone was, and, and it was a good point for me to start, I think. Absolutely. So if you can remember back to that point, Matt, what was your, what did the ideal goalkeeper look like to you at that young of an age? Like if you were to kind of craft it from your memory at 21, what did you look for and what were your priorities? You, you know what, it, it might not answer your question, but I always... I always think back to them days and I remember certain things I've done as a coach. So, and I'm not afraid to say it. One of them was, for example, punching, punching the ball. I'm never going to do a session on punching. I want them to catch it all the time. And then, and, you know, the older you get, you think it's far from realistic, that, that sort of comment. So I think I was very naive, but obviously you only learn by sort of throwing yourself in. So in terms of what I look for, I suppose like everyone just good technically, you know, good technicians, obviously the one thing that's never changed in fairness I'm a big believer that, you know, when you're recruiting or say you have a, I don't know, a nine-year-old that, that turns up from a development centre, they've got to, they've got to look like a goalie for me. They look like they want to play in goal because that's half the battle, I think. And then you can start to upskill them. So so one of the main things that's, that stood by me is, you know, do they look like a goalkeeper? I don't mean like, you know, what their hair looks like. I mean, the way they carry themselves, you know, do they look after their kit? Do they do things right? Do they, do they cut corners? So I think one of the main things, if I look back, was... Did they really want to be a goalie? Because I heard a few people say it on your podcast before, you know, they've got to want it themselves, which is which is true. They, they've definitely got to, they've got to have that sort of desire from within. So that was the main thing I'd say what I looked at. But I definitely had a lot of bad traits, you know, looking at they must do this technically and, and it's you know, they must scoop it up. But it's not it's not true. So I, I think you have to learn quickly in this industry for sure. 
like many others. Yeah. Did you ever step into that role and start thinking about like uh, the psychology of the position as well as like the physical side of the position, whether it's, you know, in the gym, nutrition? Because I think a lot of coaches, especially myself, which I always refer back to because I don't want to put anybody, uh, anybody, any words in anybody's mouth. But for me, growing up, I think even starting as a coach, my focus was heavily only on technique, only on the field. But I never really thought about the psychology and how I can implement like how Anthony White is doing, you know, implementing his psychology and sports science background and kind of influencing the way he sessions or he structures his sessions. So did you do you feel like back then you didn't really put that much emphasis on it? And now you do? Or did you always put emphasis on the like off the field psychology and as well as the uh, physique and fitness side? Yeah, sure. No, good question. I I think it definitely... um... I was definitely more more technical like yourself. I think as I I think I mentioned I was 21 when well between the ages of 20 I was I was up and in and around the first team doing little bits and learning very quickly in terms of the the psychological side and dealing with people dealing with fully grown men you know men that were what 10 years older than me different characters seeing stuff I've never seen before. So I think the first one I most really started to broaden horizons on was the the, the psychological. I think not only till my time when I, when I went to Stoke in 2012, that's when I really started to to appreciate the physical side of it uh, in terms of the different methods and, and how important it is in the position. And even more so now, by the way, you know, and Andy Kwai was there at the time uh, and Danny Alcock, who's now with the FA, they, they were both great uh, and they were big on it. So that's when the physical side of it really sort of hit home for me. And obviously always tactically, you're always learning as well. So before, like I said, it was all technical, but well, they all sort of roll into one now, I think, and you're always thinking about all of them now. I just think, yeah, with your experiences and with your challenges along the way, you just start to take things along the way and, and, and add them to your armory, if you like, and then you use them. Um, yeah, that so, a question. Absolutely. So at 21, though, you started stepping into the first team environment, correct? And then uh, when they said that they were, it was fluctuating, different coaches were coming in and out. But one of the coaches that came in uh, upon their arrival, they had you come in with the first team for about six, seven months, right? So were you still training with the first team as well while, while, while coaching? Yeah, I mean, I was quite, I was quite fortunate. Yeah. So to give you a, a real quick uh, insight. So we, at Barnet, there was quite a few changes in the managers. And with that, you'd have the goalie coach sometimes move on as well. So there was always there was about two or three occasions where I stepped up for a, a week there, or two weeks there, a month there. And it wasn't until, forgive me, I don't know the year, Laurie Sanchez came in, uh, former... 2011. Former, yeah, 2011. And because I was doing it a little bit, and I, I guess because he didn't have anyone, and again, it was luck, it wasn't because I was doing some great stuff. I think, you know, he sat me down and, and said, look, we can find a little bit more money in the budget because I wasn't, I was on, at that time, I was on expenses, I think it was like £100 a month. We can, we can find money here, would, would you be up for doing it? Um, and uh, so I did, because obviously I'm thinking, well, I've been doing it anyway, to do it officially and get a bit more money. It's, it's a no-brainer. Uh, so I've done that for about seven, eight months. And yeah, during that time, I think as all goalie coaches, we all join in, we all, we all have a bit of a fly around. Uh, and, and I suppose you get your little buzz from it there. I mean, before that, it did get to a point where through a few injuries and again, through a lot of luck, I sat on the bench for the first team and ne- nearly actually played in the league. So I think that was most probably as close as I came to being a, a professional goalkeeper. At, I think it was 20, 21. Um, so I was doing, doing a lot of training, doing a lot of coaching. So I was getting a nice little mix. I was quite happy at the time at Barnet. So it was a good experience, really, because I was working across the whole spectrum, first team down to seven years old. So I was lucky. I was really lucky. So just like I asked Anthony White, you know, he stepped in at Oldham at 21. Now you're stepping into a first team environment at 21. Can you just tell me what your, I mean, what was going on in your head when that happened? And kind of, I mean, I could only imagine that it was, you know, nerves and, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to impress the older goalkeepers get them what they need. So did you have that collaboration with those goalkeepers from day one or did you kind of step in trying to prove yourself? I think because I was doing it sporadically before, I had the relationship there a little bit. His name was Jake Cole at the time. He was the the senior one. So um, the relationship was there a little bit. But in terms of when I, you know, when I started doing it officially, if you like, um, yeah, of course, very nerve wracking, very much. Why is he going to listen to me? He's played 500 games in the league. So I think you've got to quickly adapt and quickly almost try and get them on side as quick as you can. Because I think for me, the, the moment you lose them in football, you lose them. And what I mean by that is the, the moment they can sense that you either don't know what you're doing or the moment they sense that you haven't planned properly and you're not, you're not taking it serious, they're not going to. So um, I think you've got to get a relationship going from the off. And that wasn't through any other work that I've done. That wasn't through um, any courses that I've done. That was just my own sort of gut feeling that looking him in the eye, right, I need to... I need to get these two on board because otherwise I'm just going to sink. So, and I'm not going to lie, I find it incredibly tough. Um, it wasn't so much the the goalkeepers; it was like the outfielders. They they look over and think, "Who's this kid training the goalies?" You know, and you've you've just got to, you've got to adapt and you've got to take it on the chin and 
I just think, yeah, that's if you talk about throwing in at the deep end, through no fault of my just my fault, I think that's mm-hmm. definitely something that got me going. Um, and it was tough, but it got me going for sure. Yeah, well, it got you going. And the next step you take is uh, after about six or seven months with the first team at Barnet FC, you move on to Stoke City. So what was your uh, role at Stoke City? Were you the head of the academy or were you just a, one of the goalkeeper coaches? Yeah, no, I wasn't the head. Um, the, the fellow I mentioned before, Danny, Danny Alcock, he was the lead. They were going through, they, they just turned category one. So for, for some of you that don't know, it was the, um, the categorization of some of the academies, which I'm sure you've heard. And they needed another position to fill. And luckily, I, I interviewed up successfully. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was almost finally right. That's my chance to not get out of Barnet. I just felt like, I've, you know, I've done everything there in in a sense. I need to go out and, and, and throw myself into another challenge, get out of the bubble I'm currently in. So, yeah, 2002. So I moved up there to, to work full time. Uh, we were both sort of covering the full spectrum from nine to 23, working under Andy Kwai, who's now who's now at Brentford. Um, so it was a nice little department. We had some good goalkeepers. It was a, listen, it's a great club, great city. First time living on my own. So, so young keepers that can relate. That was a chat, like from, from a personal point of view, a social point of view, moving out, going to, going to rent my own place, uh, away from my, my, my partner, my, my friends, just threw myself into it really, because it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. So, um, four really good years there. Yeah. It was a brilliant club. Brilliant. Matt, I, I'm cu- really curious about your the interview process with Stoke City. Like, what were they looking for from you, and what did you feel like you offered as a young coach that that kind of was intriguing for them to to hire you? I I got the vibe, and I think it's a good vibe. So I think I'm pretty confident in saying this is true. I think the fact that I was young, but not just young, willing to the new ideas and and you know molding my my ways of, of working. So I wasn't set in my ways. I wasn't. And I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to say you know if you're old you don't change. But I just think I came across like I was really open-minded. Um, I, I'm not a massive fan of that term, but yeah, I, I was open to how he does things, how he does things. I think they could sense I was really keen, so I said, "Look, I'll move more if you want." I think they offered it to me. I remember walking out of the office, and um, I think it was Danny at the time came out and says, "Look, they want to offer it you now. Would you accept it? This is the money. This is." I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." Uh, so I never looked back, really. But I just think, yeah, I was I was really keen. I was really open to learning, passionate as well, which I think, for me, if you're not a goalkeeper coach that isn't passionate, it's not going to rub off on the kids. So I was really passionate. And I think I'd like to think they sensed that. Um, and yeah, never looked back, really. I think I drove up a week later, bought a car, wow. got the car, uh, found a place straight in. So um, no looking back, really. Did you feel like when you got into that role, did you have freedom to influence the goalkeepers how you wanted to? Or did you obviously have to, like you said, be open-minded, take what, the, what their approach was, and then maybe from there try and sink it into what you have so that the message doesn't get watered down? Yeah, I think we all, as coaches, I mean, we all have our own personal preferences and likes and the way we do things. But again, I think if you're not open, you're not going to learn, really. So there was, there was, there was ways that they done things there. But I always, I always look back and think, luckily, myself and the other coaches and the club, it felt like a good fit. So I felt like I, f- I fitted in quite quickly, quite well. Whether that was because I was young and I was just literally like a sponge, I don't know. But um, I always felt we were very similar as coaches. Um, and then in terms of what they wanted from me, it was no problem because it was quite natural to me. So, um, and don't get me wrong, it was tough. There were some big characters there. Uh, it's a Premier League club. It's, it's a big club and it was tough, but you always have tough moments. But luckily, I just sort of stuck it, stuck it out, took some bits on the chin. You know, I think you've got to be prepared to take some criticism. What you're doing that for? That's not right. This is the way yeah. we want you to do it, and you just take it in your stride, really. And that's what I think I, I had to do quite well because when you talk about uh, sinking or swimming, could it, there was one point I was thinking this maybe ain't for me. I'm a, I'll move back to London, but I sort of I was telling myself, no, you've wanted this, so I stuck it out, and, and I was good. So I think you're always going to have challenging moments, but but luckily I um, I didn't leave. That's what we talk about with a lot of young coaches too. And if any question that I've asked coaches about what they look for when they're trying to hire their own coaching staff is just the fact that when you when you start something like this, you really got to be in love with the process, in love with that kind of because you're not going to be able to be resilient or to go through that adversity like you're talking about with those bigger egos and people who are going to challenge your methods and challenge your philosophies unless you love it because you you know what the the next step will look like you know behind that door. Um, so for you, though, I mean, I kind of want to get into se- uh, session structure and talk about how your session structure at Stoke City when you were with these young goalkeepers, did it differ from the way you had it with the first team at Barnet FC? Football club, sorry, I got I to I go football club. It's more so I, no, don't, don't worry, it's the same thing. No, I think the, listen, when I was at Barnet, it was very much uh, winning on a Saturday. And, and, and I'm, 
I'm not saying that's I wouldn't necessarily do that now, although it will be a big part if, if I did do a first team role. But there I was very much new to the development side of things. And it was very much right. This is who we're playing Saturday. What do we need to do to prepare the goalies and to win? So, yeah, it was massively different. Obviously, you go to Stoke and it's more of a, a development program and you're almost trying to what's right for a nine, what's right for a 12, what's right for a 16, 19. So, yeah, it differed quite a lot. I think what where we're fortunate as goalie coaches, I think because we work across the whole spectrum nine times out of ten, you've got to know how, you know what sort, of, what sort of mat does the nine need, what sort of mat does the 12 need, what sort of mat does the first team player need. So I think if you're, if, if you're in a position like me where you're in a club and you're exposed to the whole lot, I think that's something that you get quite quickly and, and you almost, if you like, again, another phrase, you've got different hats for different sessions because you have to adapt, you have to be different. You, you definitely can't train a nine as you train a, a first team for sure. So, um, yeah, massively different between Barnet, Stoke and even now uh, at Birmingham. Completely just evolving, I suppose, is the word I'd use. Mm. Constantly evolving. Well, did you have any of your goalkeepers go into the first team setting at all? At, at, at Stoke? Uh, uh, yeah, we had, we had quite a few. Well, when you say into the, yeah, they were, they were up in and around it. They were sitting on the bench and stuff. I don't think we had, yeah, we had Dan Backman play for the, the first team who's now at Watford, play for the first team in a pre-season game. So I suppose you could say that was the first uh, major tick. Other, other, other ones were maybe just sitting on the bench involved in the matchday squad. But I think where you've got a, where I certainly kept reminding myself is that was a, you know, the club was flying at the time. They were, they were pushing for top eight, top six. They were, they were going through a transitional period. And, and, you know, if you look at the goalkeepers that our lads had in front of them, you had Jack Butland, Asmir Begovic, Thomas Sorensen. So for me, the goalkeeping department at Stoke was ridiculously strong. Um, and they had a nice blend. You had Jack, who at the time was the up and coming one. Asmir was right in his prime. And he was, you know, he was, for me, he was one of the best around. Learned so much off of him. And Thomas Sorensen, I mean, I don't need to give him an introduction. He's been there and done it. So in terms of us getting one in, that was tough. But that's the challenge I think every goalie coach has. I think the pathway was there, that's for sure. It's just up to us to try and get them on the path and get them through, really. So we had a couple, but it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, one thing that I'm always not fascinated by, but that I really think about is even growing up, I used to always study the next level above me. So, you know, when I got to the development academy that I was I was with the Galaxy, then thinking about what do college goalkeepers look like and how can I try and mirror my game around that. So, you know, at Barnett FC, you had certain goalkeepers that had certain attributes. And then obviously Stoke City, you guys are recruiting some of the best goalkeepers in the area. So what did you feel were the, the little distinct differences between the goalkeepers you had at Barnett moving to Stoke City and what separated them? I don't think there was maybe, I mean, listen, when I... I remember my first week and I, and I went out and hopefully none of them are watching, but I remember looking around the group and thinking, oh, I think my goalies at Barnet were better than this, you know, because it was new to me, you know, yeah. it was new to me. And I was like, right, again, you're young, you're naive, you're thinking Premier League club, category one, et cetera, et cetera. These, these are going to be good. And there's not so much differences, I think, across across all the kids. I think I think everyone's doing such good work and similar work. There's always going to be a sort of a, a consistent level of goalkeeper. I think in terms of what changes... Obviously, the position's ever-evolving. So, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say that I was doing different things at Barnet to what I was at Stoke because, obviously, I was in a way, but that was just because the game was changing. It wasn't because I was at a different club. It was, as, as everyone says, the, the ball at your feet stuff, just constantly up and up and up and up. And then what's required of the goalie in terms of starting positions and defending the area. Um, it, it was all just evolving. And, obviously, you've had Tim on, and he's done a great job with um, just a programme that all of us British coaches living in, in, in the UK have, being exposed to really and, and um, I suppose we're always getting this new information and trying to implement it into what we're what we're doing so I just think where the role and where the position was ever evolving if you weren't hot on it and you weren't speaking and doing things like this and talking to other people um, you get left behind maybe so and then you'd be letting the kids down so I just think through your own eye and watching games and talking to people you just have to keep evolving with the position if that answers your question maybe no it does yeah yeah it does, and I think, uh, so you go from uh, Barnet where you're with the academy, and then from there you go to the first team, and then you go to Stoke City, and then now you said, you know, after Stoke City you took a, a month or two off to, to travel, and then you get the opportunity to go to a first team position in Malaysia. So, I don't know, I mean, 
I, I don't know too much about Malaysia or kind of what, what that's all about. But again, another first team role for you. Uh, I think was it you and your partner, you guys moved out there, your, your wife, you guys moved out there. And so what was that experience like when you got that phone call? Because I know Andrew Sparks, he took that role in South Africa or even even in Austria as well, where he was with uh, Red Bull Salzburg. So how was that experience like? And kind of take me through your thought process of when you got that call and you interviewed for the position. Yeah, crazy. I mean, I got to a point at Stoke where I was a little bit, and this is nothing to the club or anyone, I just felt like I was a little bit stale. Um, I didn't see where it was going, so I just took took a leap of faith, really. Test myself, put myself on my comments. I moved back to, to London, did a little bit of travelling because I'm a big fan of the world. I think there's a big world out there. We need to see it. Uh, and then, yeah, just through, again, loads of luck. It wasn't that I was, I was building up a name for myself or you've got to get this guy. And it was just luck. I, I knew someone that was looking for a goalie coach. Got a phone call, sort of spoke about it a little bit. At first, I think you dismiss it straight away. I think you're a little bit... When you say you don't know about Malaysia, I didn't know anything about it as well. So I was straight on the phone, looking into it a little bit. What, what's the level like? Um, and then, fortunately, the guy that sort of put me in touch with the guy, he moved out there. So I was getting pictures sent through of, look, this is what we do. This is how it works. Are you interested? And I think the more he, the more he badgered me about it, I was thinking, you know, it sounds interesting. I think my main fear, if I'm being honest, was leaving, leaving the bubble of the UK and thinking, right, if I've got this on my CV... You know, will, will I get a job back here? Are they going to look down on me thinking that I've done this role? I don't know why I was thinking like that, but I was. In the end, we got to the conclusion where we, we, I remember me and my partner, we looked at each other and we said, why not? Let's just do it. So yeah, it all happened very quickly. Moved out, got a place. Yeah, and it, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I've never been really first team driven. Um, I'm not I'm not massively, I still aren't today. I'm, I'm still not really driven by the first team stuff, but... I think the opportunity to live in a different country, learn a new culture, work with different people, test myself, it was too good to turn down. So, um, yeah, no, incredible experience. We could talk about it for an hour. It was, it was tough. <laughs> Obviously, the, lang the language barrel wasn't too bad. The, the English was good. I think looking back, where we, where we found it tough is we tried to bring maybe a European model over there, whereas the culture over there and the way it normally was because of the heat, they didn't train till the evening. They were big on sort of um, staying up till really early hours with their, with their friends, their family, eating soup, sleeping in all afternoon and then getting up and training because it was cooler and that's where it happened. So I think their body clocks were all over the place as one example. Mm. Um, the, the fitness levels were tough. So I think where we, where we went over there and we had all these plans and to try and make it a European model, I think looking back in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. It didn't work. So again, you talk about learning, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with, I had four goalkeepers at the time, quite experienced out there as well. Quite, one of them was quite a big name as well. So um, he had a big backing on like social media and stuff like that. So it was tough. There was a bit of um, a few media sort of stories around the club as a whole. So we was, again, another phrase, we were swimming against the tide a little bit. There was a few things going against us. Um, but in terms of looking back, oh, what an experience, just, just living abroad and, my partner actually, she fell pregnant out there as well. So if you talk about myself from a professional and a, and a, and a personal point of view, socially, all these things, it was a massive, uh, massive challenge moving halfway across the world. So, yeah, it was great. It was brilliant. Uh, the, the people out there were good. Definitely learned so much about like, different cultures, football on the, on the, in, in, in a different country. And, and I think my, if you look at my, my roles before that, I think I added a few roles to that job out there. I was very much, I was doing quite a lot of outfield bits out there as well because the staffing wasn't as high. So I was I had the opportunity to upskill myself a bit as well, which I think was good. Um, and I just threw myself into it like I have done with everything. Yeah, well, like you talk about now, you had a little bit more of a role with uh, the team. And when you get to that role, now you're kind of seeing it from the full perspective versus just seeing it from a goalkeeping department. Do you feel like that collaboration with the first team and kind of how, that, how your mindset is now about that, was that created in Malaysia? I think I was definitely introduced to it. The the manager at the time, again, he was really open-minded. He was, he was, go on, can you just take them? And then we had a chat, All right, what, what do you want? And we had a chat and it was almost took me by surprise. What you want, you know, you want me to, to do this? You want me to, yeah, <laughs> fine, I'll do it. So I think without having people around you like that, you're always going to be fighting a few battles maybe. But I think it, I definitely opened my eyes to it in Malaysia. And then fortunately, you know, the club I'm at, I'm at now, Birmingham, they, they, you know, they're so open-minded to that sort of stuff. I think, for me, and, and obviously you've had some great people on here, it spoke so much sense. It's been brilliant uh, listening. Um, one thing that really stood out to me in terms of when you, when you, when you, met, you know, reached out to myself, something I wanted to raise was, I think if you haven't got the collaboration between 
the goalkeeping side of things and the outfield side of things, for me, you're, you're failing the, the goalkeepers. So if you talk about, there's this, I don't know how long, this 50-year-old phrase in goalkeeping that we work in isolation and we work, you know, the running joke is you work in the 10 by 10 corner over there and you just do your stuff, you kick volleys. But for me, what I'd more look at in terms of isolation is if you're not linked up to what the outfielders are doing, for me, there's an issue. So what what I started to really think about in Malaysia and now what I'm really doing now, you know, we could be working for 45 an hour as goalkeepers, but unless it's sort of streamlined and, and structured, whatever whatever way you want to call it, you've got a bit of scaffolding. If they're not going into something that they've had a feel of with me and then almost given an opportunity to do it with the team, I think that you should be doing that, if that makes sense. So... um I think, yeah, well, one thing that I'm a big believer on now is the collaboration's got to be there. So for, to give you a quick example, we'll have, um, if the outfielders are on attacking cycle, which they were a couple of weeks ago before, before obviously the unfortunate events of what's happening now, we're, we're on protecting the goal. So while they're doing their attacking, we're protecting the goal. And that's what I mean by it being linked. Again, if you flip it, when they're doing their defending work, we're working on defending the area stuff. And then if you talk about having the, um, that's the structure, uh, and then when you're having the one-to-one chats in the morning over a cup of tea, you know, you haven't got to do too much work because we're already in line sort of thing. And then you can get to the nitty gritty. So, for example, if we're if we're in the possession block and we're doing possession stuff, we're working on, I don't know, playing around and through the opposition. They're on similar stuff. And then that's where I can sit down with the coach and say, you know, this is what we're working on. They would have had the information previously as well. How can we get him in? So. I might say, look, can we get him on the end of a possession in the in the 180 view and, and can we give him certain challenges and rewards if he does play around or does play through? And again, they're, they're doing the isolated work with us. Even though I wouldn't call it isolated, there's a lot of decision-making in that. And then they step in with the team and it's a similar theme, similar stuff that they have been doing, but almost in a bigger picture with a lot more consequences because they're with the team. So that's where I just think you've got to scaffold it quite a lot. And, and I'd urge anyone watching that that maybe isn't doing it now don't work in isolation and by that I mean just doing what the goalies are doing and they're doing what they're doing I think you've got to be on the same page somewhere for sure absolutely and one thing I've always been curious about too is when you step into a new country and the cultures are a little bit different and the upbringing of the the goalkeepers and what their tendencies are and what their focuses are there like you said the English model may not have worked because of certain differences in opinion or you know cultural differences so what was the Malaysian goalkeeper like what what did uh, what were their emphasis like uh very short uh, very, very short. Uh, they, you know what? They were very, they were, yeah, because they were short, they were a shorter build. They were very agile. One thing that I was really conscious of was because of the heat. So if you talk about, uh, I don't know, a match day warm-up, I remember my first game and thinking, I'm struggling here. I know I'm not acclimatised to it, but I'm I'm struggling here with this with this heat. So surely he's going to be struggling. But listen, I don't think he was because he, he's used to it. But as an example, I had to really look at the loading of what I was doing because am I asking too much of them to be doing this in this humidity, this heat? So in terms of the the, the Malaysian goalkeepers, I think they were very yeah they were they were they were they were very acclimatised. Obviously, they were, they were quite short, very agile, very quick. Now they were good, and listen, it was great because obviously you're trying to implement different methods, different ways of working. Uh, and in fairness to them all, they all took to it. They all you know would do whatever you want. It was great. Like I said, the the language barrier wasn't too bad. They all understood. Some of the things that we really implemented was like the gym side of stuff. So we had them all in the gym every day or every other day. Um, and that's something that's not normal out there. I don't think it might it might be a bit more now. But um, they almost saw it as a punishment because we were taking them in the gym. I think the norm was just play football. But obviously we were we were conscious that we were trying to play a certain style of football, which required a certain type of player. For example, you know, we can't have them breaking down after 9K. We want them to be able to run... 12k or whatever it might be so yeah all the different things we tried to bring in I think it was quite new to them and they did find it tough but um, they're all up for the challenge and it was great because again you're just you're just learning how to deal with certain individuals and, and what they need so it just helps you improve and upskill yourself I think yeah I think uh, to build off your point there, Matt, one thing that I, I loved about what Anthony White said when I had him on he was talking about you know what the ideal technique is versus the effective technique so i don't know if you have any stories or any any like uh things that you've reflected on where maybe there was a point where you came in and tried to change somebody's technique because maybe it didn't align with the english way or the way your your methodologies and philosophies kind of uh navigated but how did you step into those environments and kind of work with what's effective for them but also hey maybe give them an idea of like this may work a little bit better how did you go about uh, navigating those conversations yeah i think in terms of a, an example, one that springs straight to mind, and it was a, a really one from back in the day where I said I was just trying to um, 
like I said, where I was doing the punching, I was never going to do a punching session. There, there was loads of things where, you know, from a technical point of view, you know, you think, should it be coming out and catching that? And I, I just think the moment you start saying them things and you think, no, I'm never, and, and you get the response from the goalie, I'm never coming for that. Or, or you can tell he's not a fan of what you just said there. You almost think, right, am I saying the right thing here? They're good at doing it a certain way. They're good at doing it a certain way. I think you can't be selfish as a goalie coach. I think ultimately our job is to develop these players to become what they want to become in terms of have their own identity. They're not going to be, I don't want them to look like me. Oh, I wasn't successful mm. as a as a player. Um, I just think we need to recognise what what their traits are, what their physical profile is, and how can we get the best out of what they've got. So one might be one might have a really wide set, and and you think right, he's, he's struggling with it. You know, I, I, yeah. Another example, I thought this fella had a a really wide set, and I thought he might be vulnerable because he was crouching quite low. So he might be vulnerable in higher areas, but I don't think I remember seeing him get beat up high. He was like a cat. So that's that was one thing where I thought. I can't tell him to stand up a bit more and, and narrow his feet up a bit. He, he, he's, he's nailed what he's good at and he's perfected it and he's effective. So I think the quicker you can recognise that as a coach. Now, obviously, there'll be times as well where you think it might be to the detriment of them and you think, right, I've got to step in here, even though you might get a bit of friction. Just try this. if you don't, Just try it. And then they might buy into it a bit. Or it might not work. But I just think it's just the way you approach it. It's just being socially good. I think if you go in all guns blazing and say, you're crap at that. Can you do this? I think you know what they're going to tell you. I think you've just got to wait to the point of time where you've got that relationship and, and you feel like you can affect them a bit. I had moments where, it, for example, I'd jump on it. So if it happened in the, in, the, in the session quite a bit, that's where I thought, right, now would be a good time to go and jump on it because it's actually gone wrong a few times. I just think you've got to be clever with, with your, um, your interactions. You could call it your, your inter- intervention strategies, just knowing when, how, why you go in and, and, and say what you say, I think. Absolutely. And my last point for the the Malaysia uh, time of your life is, to me, I think now it's sometimes it's kind of funny where you see certain techniques and trends that were not frowned upon, but things that say from like the Latin American side where the side volley used to be just the regular punt, like the Peter Schmeichel, just straight up military type punt. Then you had, you know, the block save a little bit more. The Hispanic way was already dropping both knees, like the Jesus Cristo is what we used to call it. So like all these different trends from around the world all of a sudden now are coming to the forefront, I think because of social media. So for you, did you ever see any trends or techniques in the past that you were always against and say, I'm never going to teach that? But then slowly as you've seen it work a little bit more, you've kind of added it to, I said, your uh, your toolbox. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think quite the opposite. I think I saw things that I thought I really like that. So I remember, you know, we'd have trialists in like Eastern European and they were so brave in terms of, you know, we, we'd be big on all the, like you said, the blocks were coming in. But, you know, you get a trialist in and, and, and every time he's diving at their feet and you think, oh, I like this effective, I like that. And then, so I think quite the opposite. I, I almost, whenever I see something that I really like and I think certain type people or different countries are doing things, I think I try and, and sort of look into it a bit more. So whether you... I don't know whether you go on a study visit, whether you reach out and you, you make a call and say, look, can you talk to me about why you do this? Or whether you just sit down with the goalie that you're talking to, what's made you do that? Why'd you do it that way? Again, I think if you're similar to what I said back at start, if you're not hot on what's going on around the world and what, what the modern trends are and the way the position's going and what, I don't want to say what the future goalie looks like. It's a bit cringy, but what, I mean, listen, if I've got a 14 year old goalie, you know, he's not playing in the, in the first team now, I need to look at what the game's going to look like. And maybe, what, six years' time when he's 20. So I think you've always got to be trying to be hot on what's happening. I think we live in, a, in an age now where social media, like you say, is great for that. But I just think it goes back to you as a coach, just just not dismissing things too quickly. I think I've always been quite open-minded. So in answer to your question, no, nothing's really stood out that I've dismissed. I think it's quite the opposite of things have grown on me if they haven't been standout-ish to, to start with. But I think you need to do that as a coach because, you know, one point I would make as well is, if any coach wanted any advice and if I could give myself advice from 10 years ago from now, I think you've got to make yourself better because ultimately if you don't make yourself, you know, if you don't upskill yourself, you're letting down the players. So um, you've got to keep, whether you look at different industries, different sports, you know, we've done CPD at the club where we've, we've got hostage negotiators in where we, if you talk about communication and how they can communicate in high pressure situations, that might be something you look at. So I think as a coach, if you're not upskilling yourself, and, you know, we're asking our goalies every day, every minute of every day to, to do this better, to get better. If we're not doing that, I think it's a bit of hypocrisy in football for me. If we're not willing to get better ourselves, um, for me, you're, you're losing. Yeah. 
Well, absolutely. So talking about, you know, upscaling yourself and getting better as a coach, now you leave Malaysia, you come back to uh, Barnet, where it all started pretty much. And now essentially they gave you the key and they said, hey, Matt, you're going to be the head of goalkeeping. How was that like first process like when you're now you're you're the head of, the, of everything, you're kind of setting the tone. What was that situation like as you're set, you know, setting up the goalkeeping department? You know, that was a time in my life where I think if you talk about did I know myself before that? Most probably not. After all them different experiences, the tough time at Barnet before that, I say not just the Barnet, the good and the bad times that every club have been at, Malaysia as well. I think when I came back from Malaysia, I was in a bit of a place where I felt like I knew myself a bit. Again, it sounds really cringy, but I felt like I'd, I knew what my identity was. I knew look, this is what I've seen it. That country, I've seen it. That club, that club, that club. First team, under nine. This is what I really believe in. So I felt I felt really comfortable and confident going back into Barnet. I think the... Um, is it, it was as it was just finishing up in Malaysia that I got a call saying that if you come back, you could you could sort of take on the head of goalkeeping role there. That was overseeing everything, really. Women's first team. And I, again, I jumped at the chance because we were, like I said, my partner was in a position where she was, I think she was like six months pregnant when we flew back. So that was in the back of my mind as well. So I needed a bit of stability and I thought it was a good project just to throw myself in. So I think I really called on all my different experiences at that point uh, and all the, the good and the bad things that I saw. Uh, and like you said, because I had almost free reign to an extent, I think I had a good understanding of what I wanted. So I set it up. The way the, the sessions were structured, the, the syllabus, we looked at it all really. Um, and I, yeah, I just think the main point I'd say there was I knew myself. I was in touch with you know what, what makes me tick and what you could say my own philosophy, if you like. Um, so yeah, it, it was good to just get in there and, and get my teeth into it. But then and I did plan on staying there, really. But six months later, the, the job popped up at Birmingham. And it was almost too good to sort of ignore. And again, I, I interviewed a couple of times and successfully uh, got it. I couldn't turn it down. That was January 2018. Unfortunately, I was only back at Barnet for, for six months. And again, I, I don't really want to club hop. I like to, if you're going to go somewhere, you know, sink your teeth into it, really, really have a good go at it. So you could say from that point of view, it was a bit um, disappointing. But yeah, Bar Birmingham was a, was a too good opportunity to turn down, really. So I jumped at that as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you said you wanted to sink your teeth into it a little more, and now you've been at uh, Birmingham Football Club for almost, Birmingham City, excuse me, Birmingham City Football Club. You've been here for almost two and a half years. So now, you know, one, one question that I've always, I've always, I mean, I wanted to ask you when, when I found out that you were at uh, Birmingham City is, if let's say I flew out and I wanted to just, you know, shadow you for a week, what would, what would you think my impression would be like of the environment and like the, the culture you, that you've set there? I mean, firstly, I, I wouldn't say what I've said. I think the, the club were doing brilliant things beforehand and it's a great place for sure, like like lots of academies. I think if you was to come into the goalkeeping department, I'd like to think we're very open, very open to share ideas, very open to new ideas. You know, definitely are. If you talk about our environment as a whole, it's a real open door policy. So we have, uh, we have you know, kids can just walk into our office and say hello. So I, I think you've, I think you've got to be authentic. I think you've got to, I think, you know, one one statement we really like is, an authentic childhood experience. I think you've got to remember that kids are kids. So, you know, at previous clubs, I think it was quite robotic and it was quite, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't think the kids had their, their identity, whereas here, I feel like we're really open uh, from the goalkeepers as well. If, if he wants to be a certain way, if he wants to wear them boots, then as long as it's not to the detriment of anything that we're doing, I think you've got to let them spread their wings a bit. So I think you'd, you'd get that vibe, hopefully, at Birmingham. Uh, it's very, yeah, just very open and very, very chilled. But, Obviously, everyone works hard. We, we all want the best for each other. So whether that's me or the staff that work under me, you know, trying to push them to be better or whether we're trying to push a nine to be better. I just think you've always got to have that environment where you're constantly uh, reflecting, evaluating, trying to improve. I don't think you should be changing things too much because I think the kids do need some consistency. So, for example, we always evaluate things at the end of the year or halfway through the year, whether that's the syllabus and how we're linking with the outfielders or whether that's, whether that's our principles that we've set in place. And, we, you know, we've done that just last week. We looked at the terminology we were using a bit and we felt like it's, it's developed, it's gone on a bit. So we need to put that in there. Um, so I think you've always got to be uh, mindful of what's going on and then how you yeah. can obviously get better because we all want to get better. Otherwise, you just get overtaken by other people. Absolutely. That is, that is football. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, obviously I feel like at that level, most of the goalkeepers share a lot of the same attributes. Obviously, the, the physical profiles may be a little bit different because everyone grows at different rates. But the technical side of things, I can imagine that it's all 
very much sound. But one question that I don't think gets asked a lot, and I actually saw it on a Twitter, uh, you know, Twitter discussion today, was the temperament of your goalkeepers. And I'm just curious for you, Matt, from your 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 best goalkeepers in the academy system now, because I don't think I mentioned it, but you are the head of the academy for goalkeeping at uh, Birmingham City. So if people didn't catch that, but so what are like the temperament traits that you feel the best goalkeepers in your academy that you oversee share? Um, again, I go back to that point. I, I think they're all very different as well. So I don't think you, you, you can be, for example, we could have a, a, an under 14 that's really quiet, but does some good things. And you've almost got to let his, see if his personality develops and his characteristics. And have you really got that rapport where you can have a bit of a bit of fun, a bit of banter with him? You don't get a lot back, but that's just where he's at at the moment. And then you've got, I don't know, you might have an older one that's, um, that's really confident and, 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 you know, he has a presence about him. So I just think, yeah, I think you've got to be mindful that they're all different. I think I'd like to think that if you came and watched, and again, it's not just me, it's the staff around me, it's the club before I was there. I'd like to think that if you came and watched a Birmingham goalie or if you just saw a Birmingham goalie playing somewhere, you, you could recognise that they were a Birmingham goalie in a way, that the way they try and do things. I'm not saying we're doing anything that, that no one else is doing, but I think you want them to have an identity through the club. That's the way of Birmingham City, you know, that's our philosophy, that's our culture. I think you need to really instill them them principles of how you work and then hopefully they can all vibe off each other. And then if you get your environment right, you know, hopefully there's a production line of these lads that are all doing similar, you know, similar things, but they've all got their own individual quirks. Uh, but they're all doing things in the right way with the right principles. I think they've all got to have this, you know, a drive within or whether you call it personal initiative. They've, they've all got to, I know a few people have mentioned it, they've, they've all got to want it for sure. I think you've you got to be mindful that some of them might not know what they want as well. You know, I didn't know yeah. what I wanted at 14, you know, and for example, when we get lads coming in, if the relationship isn't right, for all we know, the lad that's coming in, he could have had a, a maths and English mock at lunchtime and then he done cross country after school when he comes in and you're thinking, he looks like he's not interested, but you don't know that he's most probably knackered uh, physically and mentally. So I, I just think you've got to be careful in football that we don't, we want that from the goalie and he has to do that. Otherwise he's no good because you don't know what sort of day they've had. You don't know what, what's going on in, in, in their home life. You don't know whether it will just come out over time. I don't think you can really um, take a snapshot, which I think happens a lot. Um, and I just think you've always got to step back and look at the bigger picture for me. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, again, it's all about the managing the personalities and kind of having that coaching personality. We come from the perspective of just understanding and trying to get to know the person a little bit more. So then once you have that information, then you can kind of attack it and approach it based off of what they give you. Um, but Matt, I think one of the questions I think for the younger goalkeepers that they may want to know is like for younger goalkeepers, what are they not focusing on that they should be focusing on more, whether it's on the field, off the field. I know a lot of kids have that question of even parents of like, what should my, what they should be focusing on that they're not really prioritizing at the moment. Again, I think you've got to be careful because the, the key word is that they're a kid. So, listen, the world's going through a difficult time at the moment and we all want to keep track of what, what our players are doing and try and keep some form of a programme going. But I think you've got to remember they're kids as well. So, I mean, using us as an example, you've got lads that are coming in, what, four or five times a week, plus on top of their school, plus on top of any other sports, plus on top of whatever else they've got going on. Sometimes they might need a bit of a breather. So I think you, you've got to be careful that they're not, they're not going home. And listen, we all want to do better. We all want to do more. I'm not saying no one should have that desire to, to go to the park and hit whatever 100 balls against a wall. I think that's great. But I think you've got to recognise when you can do another sport, not be solely, I need to go down the park and play football, go and play cricket, go and play whatever, handball, go, go play out on pitch with your school. I just think kids can't get too, you know, one, one thing that really stood out to me when I came to Blues was um, when you look at all the grassroots clubs, if you look at an authentic childhood experience, they all have an end of season awards and get trophies. I never saw that in academy football until I moved to Birmingham. So if you talk about getting a buy-in from kids and making it the right environment, you know, they do that there. I know loads of other clubs do it. Um, but I just think, yeah, if you're not, if you're not mindful of their kids uh, and you've got to affect them in different ways. So we have, we have Halloween parties, but set the, the session is themed around Halloween. Again, I'm not saying you do that with an 18 year old, but I think, it goes back to, to knowing your audience and making sure that they're going to relate to it. Uh, and, you know, in this period now, we haven't been too much on them. I've recognised that they hear enough of our voices. And I think what you'll find in this period, just to finish up on this point, they'll either come back and they've really, really missed it. They'll either come back and you think, you know what, I didn't miss that too much. So is this what I really want to do? So it, I think it's a good reflection 
period. I know there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world and, and hopefully we get through it. But I think for me anyway, it's a nice reflection on, and I hope the players are reflecting a bit as well as to, to what they need to, to do when they come back. I know I've uh, digressed a bit there, sorry. No, no, great answer. Again, uh, we have four minutes left, so I want to ask you two more questions and then you know, two minutes and two minutes maybe if you want to split it up like that. But uh, based off of the answers you've been giving, Matt, I've, I've really kind of honed in on the fact that you know you have different player and coach-to-player relationships. So how has your coach-to-player relationship kind of tactics and skills and your approach evolved over your, uh, your course of your career? When I first started, for example stepping in and, and, and taking part in a drill, I always thought, you can't be doing that. You've got to be professional. You can't be clowning around. But I quickly learned that you can't take yourself too seriously. And I don't think that's clowning around. I think I'm a big believer on you. If, you want, if you're asking them to do things, you've got to show them that you're willing to either do it yourself or can do it yourself. I, don't, I think you've got to have a likability about you. I think if the kids don't like you, it doesn't matter what information is coming out of your mouth, they, they, they don't like you. So I think socially you've got to be really good with the kids. You've got to know how to interact with, with him that lives at home with, with just his mum uh, and maybe comes from a, a slightly different background to someone that comes from a, the other end of the spectrum. I won't go into detail. So again, I think if you're not socially good and you're not likable, you, you don't take yourself too seriously. You know, you talk about humility. You've got to be, yeah, you've just got to be open. And, and, you know, for example, we've had some Zoom calls with the lads not talking about football this week, just seeing how they are. Some of them have shaved their hair off. Some of them have been doing things in their garden and just just being on a level with them where they know they can come to you and, and talk to you. Because for me, we get caught up on what, what you've been doing, how far have you run today? I think you've got to recognise their kids. I know I've said that a lot, but um, I think the coach to player thing is massive. If they don't like you or don't buy into what you're saying or can sniff that you're unprepared or whatever it might be, Again, you're swimming against the tide for me. You're fighting a losing battle. Yeah, I think uh, you haven't really said anything about psychology, but a lot of your answers to me make me make me believe that you're really keen on on psychology because I think your your answers and the way you've approached the answers to these questions has been very much of like there's no absolutes in coaching. You can never have a specific way, yeah, specific way of approaching something because again, different uh, personalities, different people offer different results. So um, again. Amazing to have you on, Matt. And, and I want to leave you out here on, you know, just one question. What do you feel like at the end of it, let's say when you're done coaching, everything's said and done about Matt Doyle. What is your legacy? What do you want it to be? Good question. Um, I just think, listen, naturally, we all want to all want to have a group of goalkeepers that we all brought through. I, I just think you, again, it can come across really cringy, but I just think you want to be a good, a good person. You know, you want to invest in yourself, get better, have a good rapport with the lads and make sure that when they... You know, I don't know about you guys, but from when I was at school, there's always that one teacher that I remember that was that was great for whatever reason. So I suppose you want to be that person to the kids. You know, you want to be that, whether he was cool, whether he was funny, whether he was just, he taught me so much. I just think you you, you want to leave an impression on people as being a good person uh, and, and someone that taught me stuff, obviously, because we're in a, an industry where we're trying to teach uh, teach the position. So yeah, that would be my answer, really. I know we're running out of time. That was a great answer. Again, we have about, you know, 20, 30 seconds left. But Matt, I mean, just as advertised, you were, it was great. I love the answers. Again, it, it, I love these conversations because it's thought-provoking. And now when I go back to the drawing board for myself, it gets me to think about the position of like, okay, you can draw out the tactics, draw out the tactical stuff, but can we talk about the psychological side and the personality approach, which again, uh, you really focused on today. So thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. I appreciate you. And uh, I'll leave all your, your information in the notes if anybody wants to reach out to you and follow up on a question. But Matt Doyle, Birmingham City Football Club, head of the academy. Thank you so much. Stay safe out there, okay? Thank you. Take care. Cheers, mate. All right. Thank you. Take care, man. Bye.